we are continuing our series called Top 10, and we're walking through the Ten Commandments, which, uh, you know, if that may be a new topic for you, you've, you've heard about them, you're wondering, what does this have to do with us today? And, and so what we're doing is we're not looking through the lens of them being a checklist that we need to check off in our life, that if we can keep all of these commandments, that somehow we'll be in good standing with God. But we, what we are doing is we're, we're asking the question, is there something here that we can look at that if we could apply a principle, it might draw us into deeper relationship with God. And so that's how we're looking through this lens. And I want to ask you a question to start off. And the question is very simple. What do you see right now? Like, what do you see in your life? What do you see in your future? What do you see around you? What do you see in your relationships right now? As we're going to find out, that question, what do you see, is going to become a very powerful question here in just a moment. But we're going to look at the second commandment in the Ten Commandments, and it's found in Exodus chapter 20. You can also find these in Deuteronomy chapter 5, but let's look at them in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 4, and it makes up a few, a few verses to be able to talk about this one. It says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about false idols, and this can kind of seem like the same thing. There are some differences but last week we talked about, you know, what is the fruit of your life? What are we fueling in our life? What are we financing and facilitating in our life? Because if we have a high value of the Spirit of God in our life, we're also going to have low flesh, according to Galatians 5. So if we fuel the Spirit, we're going to have highs and lows. And we talked about that last week. This is going to look a little bit different this week, but it says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that's in the earth beneath, or that's in the water under the earth. I mean, you guys know that about covers it all, right? I mean, it's like we've taken care of all of it. Don't do that. That's what it's saying. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation and to those who, of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands. That literally means thousands of generations, if you study that out, not just thousands of people. It says to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And so... We know that Moses goes up on this mountain, Mount Sinai, to go up and to hear from God and to hear all of these laws that are found in the first five books uh, of the Bible. The first, you know, it's kind of the, the, the Torah there that, that sets off all of these laws. And he comes back, you know, with these Ten Commandments. I mean, if you haven't read your Bible, you maybe have seen the movie, right? Where, where Charlton Heston, who's not actually Moses, comes down with these tablets, right? So Moses is up on the mountain, and he's getting these Ten Commandments carved in stone. And part of it is this that we just read. Don't make for yourself a carved image. Now, what do you think is happening with the people of Israel as Moses is on the mountain getting these things? They're down there doing this. In Exodus chapter 32, verse 1, it says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron. Aaron was kind of Moses' sidekick. You can look at it that way. And they said to him, Up, make us gods. I like the way they said it. Just up, make us gods, you know? Like just up with it, you know? Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. They said, we don't know what happened to Moses. Maybe he died up on the mountain. Maybe he left us. We just don't know. So we need a God to follow. If Moses is gone, we need you to make us a God. And so Aaron uh, begins to make them a golden calf, if you remember the story, right? He makes a golden calf out of this gold, and he makes an image of God, but not the real thing. He makes an image of a God, but not 
the real thing. And so Moses comes down off the mountain to find everyone living the opposite of what the message is he's supposed to bring. In Exodus chapter 32, verse 19, it says, And as soon as he came near the camp, he saw the calf and he saw the dancing, and Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. Moses ain't playing around here, is he? He comes down. He's mad. He throws the tablets down. He grinds up the golden calf and puts it like and like makes them drink Kool-Aid. Like, like he just puts the powder in the water and makes them drink it, right? He is not having a good time with this. He's not playing around. So he asks Aaron, he's like, what happened? I leave you in charge for just a few days. What happened? In Exodus chapter 32, verse 33, or 23, says, this is Aaron's response. He says, for they said to me, make us gods who should go before us and as for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. And so I said to them, let any of you who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. <laughs> I love, I've always been fascinated with the way the Bible says that. It's like, Aaron's like, he's like, he made the calf, but I like the way he says that because he's kind of creative in his response. But isn't that the way we can be sometimes? that we end up blaming others or blaming situations or blaming circumstances for the sin that we fashioned with our own hands? That was, thunder would have been great right there, God. That would have been amazing. Um, but isn't that the way it happens sometimes? Like we've created our situation, but we wanna blame everything else. And he's like, I put the gold in and I don't know what happened, but how came this calf? And so uh, this graven image that, Aaron had made was nothing more than a counterfeit. That's, it was a counterfeit for the real God. It was a substitute. It was a stand-in. It was a counterfeit. And let me just say this, and, and you guys need to hear this, that Satan has a counterfeit for every good thing that God wants to do in your life. He's going to put something out there that, that's a stand-in, that's a, that it's something that's going to make you get distracted, he's going to put out a counterfeit for every good thing that God has. And so point number one today is that Satan's original offer to humanity was a counterfeit. This is how he operates. This is how he started. He started with offering a counterfeit. If you go all the way back to the garden, and if you don't know the story, you know, God created everything. He created everything as good. And he put man in the garden, and then he said that it's not good for man to be alone. And so he puts woman in the garden. He says, you guys can eat of any of these trees in the garden, except for this one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And eat of any of them but this one. And so then Satan comes in the form of a serpent in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He begins to get them to get her to question God, begin to question God's character. It says, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now, she kind of added some part into there. But the serpent said to, to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so Satan begins to get them to question 
if God is holding out on them, begins to question, did God really make you in his image or is there something more that you could have that would be more like God? He begins to get them to question the character of God and to begin to present an opportunity to say, hey, maybe there's a better way than what God has told you. This is what Satan's original offer was. Maybe there's a better way. Maybe there's something else. And he offers this counterfeit way to experience life abundantly that turns out to be death. And you know, that's what sin really is. You realize that most sin is simply a counterfeit way to fulfill a legitimate desire that God placed in your heart. It's, it's some alternative way that God placed a desire in your heart to do something, but we try to go about it a wrong way. And so it's always the counterfeit. And the counterfeit is, is really like false advertising. You're not really getting what you think you're getting. Have you guys ever seen false advertising before? It's like, I'd, you ever ordered a product like off Amazon or something and you get it, you read reviews, but it wasn't what you thought you were getting. I saw some of these this week. Here's one uh, that I saw and it's just, it's a climbing rope, except for when you look at the fine print, not suitable for climbing. Why put a picture on there you think you want to know that information before you actually test that out, right? Or, or if you get something like this next one, uh, the picture doesn't even look that great. But when you actually have the food, it's not what the picture even looks like, right? So you have some false advertising. This next one, uh, New Balance, actually, there's a little bit of story behind it because they were accused of false advertising in 2011 because they designed some shoes that they claimed, uh, they, they said they had a hidden beauty secret promising that if you would wear these shoes, you would automatically lose 8% more calories than anyone else who didn't wear their shoes. Turned out to be false. They had to pay a settlement of like $2.3 million because of false advertising. And of course, this final one is false advertising. You cannot put best and decaf coffee in the same sentence. That's like unspirit-filled believers. I don't know what to say about that. Um, I'm sorry, I should not say that. We are live on Facebook right now, but that's okay. You cannot put those in the same sentence to me. But, so that's what Satan does. He tries to put false advertising and make it look like you think you're getting one thing, but you're actually getting another. A counterfeit, it's like an almost. Have you ever had an almost, like this was almost good enough? It was almost what I thought it would be. It was almost the relationship I thought I could have. It was almost the God's plan. It's almost, you know, and that's really the story of Israel. They come out of 400 years of slavery and, and God sets them free, parts the Red Sea. Moses gets them on the other side. It's so amazing that they are not in slavery anymore, but God didn't want to leave them there just on the other side of the Red Sea. It was supposed to be an 11 days journey just to go through that and to get to the land of Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey. But how many of you guys know that sometimes we end up camping in our wilderness instead of going through our wilderness? And so we, we end up settling, and I, I've said this before, but as long as you can live without God's best, you will. As long as you can live without God's best, you will. And Satan is always going to offer a second best that in, in the form of the best. He's always going to offer you a second option. And so they stayed in the wilderness for 40 years because they could. They settled for it. 
But there were, if you guys remember, there were two guys out of the whole camp, Joshua and Caleb, who, who said, no, we got to keep going to the land of Canaan. We, 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 we're not going to settle for second best. We are not going to settle for halfway. We're not going to settle for a counterfeit. Look, and I believe that God is looking for some people who are willing to stand up and say, I'm not going to settle for second best. I want to have God's best in my life. I'm not going to settle for halfway. I want to go all the way with God. I'm not going to settle for what it, ta- what it looks like on the surface if Satan's offering me a counterfeit. I want to go all the way with God. And I believe that's what God is looking for. You don't have to do that, but you will settle. You will settle. And so a counterfeit is really second best. And, and as long as you can live without God's best, you will. But somebody here today is going to get something deep in their spirit that says, I cannot live with second best anymore. I cannot settle anymore. I am not going to stand for the lies of the enemy anymore. And Satan has been offering a counterfeit, and I'm going to reject the counterfeit, and it starts today. Now, part of helping us understand that and what it looks like for us to face a counterfeit, I want to help you understand that with an illustration that I have. So let's watch. In 1999, I went on a missions trip to Barcelona, Spain. And in Barcelona, it's a really cool city, but in Barcelona, there's this place. It's like a mile-long strip of road with shops and all sorts of things that are cool. All the architecture and stuff was fascinating. It's a place called La Rambla. And I love this place, man. I would walk up and down it all the time at sunset and just seeing all these sights and all these cool things. And I kept talking about it over and over again. Uh, And to our hosts who are pastors there in the city, and at the end of the trip, we're getting ready to say our goodbyes and all that stuff. And they, they came to me and they presented me something special. They said, we know how much you love La Rambla. And so we went and we had somebody, somebody paint an original painting of La Rambla just for you. And they gave me this painting, which is an original painting. You can see here it is, La Rambla. It's, it was awesome. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. So I took it home and I began to, I, I mean, I loved this painting. It reminded me of Barcelona. But then one day upon closer inspection, I started to look at it and I realized this wasn't an original painting. This was like somebody, and you probably can't see it, but somebody put some sort of resin or something, clear resin on top of the picture to make it look like it was an original painting. They lied to me. These pastors lied to me. They made me think this was an original painting. And so I've got a blank spot on my wall here in my office. Am I going to hang this up? No, I'm not going to hang it up because it's a fake. It's a fraud. It's a counterfeit. The whole thing is a counterfeit. In fact, I had to go find this thing. It was uh, in a closet under some other stuff, all dusty. Why? Because it's a counterfeit. It's not the real thing. And so I want to give us kind of a working definition, maybe a lens that we can put on our lives to see how this idea that we might think is foreign to us, a graven image, how it might actually apply to our life if we can look at it through a certain lens. And so Here's uh, something I want you to think about. A graven image is any picture that you're accepting that does not agree with God. Let me say it again. A graven image is any picture that you're accepting that does not agree with God. Any picture uh, you might have of your marriage that does not agree with God that you're following after is we could look at it like it's a graven image. It's a, it's a false image. A graven image is any image that you're looking at of your finances, of your future, of your potential, of God's will for your life that does not agree with God. 
That's something that we have to turn from. We have to, to learn how to agree with God. There's a story in Judges uh, about a guy named Gideon. We're familiar with this guy, many of us, because he was found in a wine press threshing wheat. That's not where he threshed wheat. He was hiding because he was the last of the last, the least of the least. He was the kid who would get his lunch money stolen. He was the, the guy. He, he was so insecure about who he was. And then all of a sudden, this angel shows up and calls him, what? Calls him a mighty man of valor. Why? Because God always sees more in us than we see in ourselves. And our job is to find out what God's picture is of us, what God's picture is of our life. Even our picture of who God is needs to agree with who, what God says. And so sometimes even when we're looking at God, we're looking at who God is, it doesn't even align up or doesn't even agree with who God says he is. And so a graven image is any image or any picture that we've been accepting that doesn't agree with God. Because Satan always has a counterfeit for every purpose of God in your life. And he's going to be putting out those counterfeit pictures all the time. He's going to be putting out those fakes all the time. And many of us end up just putting it up on our wall and just assuming that it's real. But Satan loves to put counterfeit pictures in our life for us to follow after. The thing about a counterfeit is that sometimes we, we think of a counterfeit as being the opposite of the real picture. In fact, a counterfeit is not the opposite of the real picture. Many times it's just a fake or false version of the real picture. In fact, counterfeit money is not the opposite of what real money looks like. It, in fact, it looks a lot like the real thing. And that's what Satan loves to do is to put something that looks a lot like the real thing or close to the real thing or second best to the real thing to get us to follow after. So a, a graven image is any picture that we're agreeing with, that we've accepted, that doesn't agree with God. Amen. So we need to start taking some pictures down off our walls that we've been hanging up for a long time, right? Because it looks a lot like the real thing. So is there anybody here that wants to hold $100? Anybody want to hold $100? Anybody? Okay. Chris, come on up here. You can hold $100 here. Um, this is because we, we talk about, you know, money. All right. So I don't know if I want to let go of that just yet, but uh, okay. So just take a look at that. Just turn around and, and just kind of take a look at that. That looks, looks real. Looks good, right? If I were to give you that, would that be Okay. That would be okay, okay. Uh, well, if I were to give that to you and you were to walk away and spend that, you would go to jail. Because that is not real. That is not, isn't that surprising? That is not real. Okay, you, <laughs> now, because that, that actually is a fake. It's hard to believe, isn't that? And that, the second question you're having is, how did Pastor Sean get a fake $100 bill? Do not ask me how I got this, but that, I promise you, that is not a real $100 bill. I just need Chris to uh, examine that. Give her a big hand, but that, it's not real. And, but it looks so real. It looks so real. It feels real. It, it looks real. Every part about that looks real. And, and that's what Satan does. He loves to offer a counterfeit. Now everybody's going to come up to me afterwards and you want to see it. I get that. But, um, uh, but it, he offers a counterfeit. So point number two is this, and I've already said it, but Satan still offers counterfeits. 
This is what he's doing. He doesn't do it to maybe us in our society in the form of these images that we might see carved on, in stone or wood, but he does it in other ways. And I want to suggest maybe some ways that he might do this just to get us started and so we can examine some things and maybe the Holy Spirit will speak to us on some areas of our heart. So what, what may be some of the ways that we follow after graven images today in our society? And one of the ways is we can make a graven image out of our preferences instead of God's promises. Because, you know, preferences are pretty powerful. We have a preference with how we worship. We have a preference with, you know, what we do in our life. We have a preference with all these things. Preferences could be very powerful. And so we end up following after this picture we have of what church should be like, of what God should be like, of what a relationship with God should be like. We have these preferences of what our marriage should look like. Instead of going back to say, what is, God, what is the picture that agrees with what God says about those things? And this goes all the way back. You remember Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, they, they had their issues, and then it, then it went on to their kids. They had a couple of kids, Cain and Abel. And we see in Genesis chapter 4, it says in verse 3, it says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. And so Cain was very angry. And his face fell. Now, I'm not going to get into all of the nuances of that. But what we can say is that, that Cain evidently thought that he understood what God had asked of him. But he just assumed and he said, well, I think this thing is reasonable. I feel like this offering is a reasonable offering. I feel like this way makes sense to me instead of what God has said. And, and so he offered an offering that made sense to him. He offered a, a, a thing of his own imagination, we could say, that he kind of decided what he thought would be acceptable to God. Now, how many of you guys know that Romans 12, 1 tells us what's acceptable of God? It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. See, our acceptable worship to God is everything, right? It's like everything. It's like we, we surrender our preferences. We surrender our lives. It's holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, which requires humility, you know, which requires us, as I said at the beginning, to humble ourselves under the, the word of God, the ways of God, the will of God, to be able to say, God, what is your way? God, what do you say? God, what is your heart? What is your thing? I, I had somebody this week, uh, this, in the past couple weeks, come to me and they, they humbled themselves to me and they said, I, I, I went the wrong direction. I, and they, they, they were asking for forgiveness. And I thought, you know, as a pastor, I see a lot of stuff and I can tell you that what I just witnessed there was pretty rare, honestly. It was refreshing to have somebody do that, but it was very rare. But if we want to follow after God's promises, there are times when we have to surrender our preferences to do so. And to do that, we have to walk in humility. Because a graven image is any picture that we're currently accepting that does not agree with God. Thank you on that one. <laughs> Emphasis added. Second area might be this. We can make a graven image out of deception or because of deception instead of God's discernment in our life. Because we all have blind spots, right? We all have spots in our life where they're blind spots to us. You might say, well, I don't have a blind spot. It's because you can't see it. You can't see your blind spot. And blind spots are very dangerous when we don't pay attention to them or we don't address them. When I was uh, 18, Becca and I were dating still. We were engaged, but we were driving on the highway. We were driving from uh, Kansas City back to St. Joe where 
um, where we were headed at that time. And we were about at Platte City at those bridges there, if you're familiar with that area. And it was at night. And I remember specifically what we were talking about. We were talking about what life would look like when we got married. We were talking about the call of God on our life, which we're living out now. But we were talking about that. We were excited about that. And we were driving along. And as we were driving, a semi was, semi trailer was in the passing lane and we were in the, the, uh, the main lane on the bridge and they did not see us and they cut over and, and hit us. We were going 70 miles an hour. They hit us. We spun out in front of, I mean, we're on a bridge. Our car completely crumbled into, I mean, we hit every side of the bridge and you look at the car at the end and it was just completely crumbled. We didn't have a scratch on us. I believe angels protected us in that accident. But it's a dangerous thing when you don't pay attention to your blind spots. And, and that's what happens when we are deceived. When we're deceived, we start to follow after a wrong image that doesn't agree with God. And James chapter 1, verse 16 says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Do not be deceived. Don't follow after a counterfeit, after a fraud. The thing about being deceived is that you don't know you're being deceived, right? Like every person right now who's walking in deception does not realize it. Because if they did, they wouldn't be deceived. They would know that. They would just be making wrong choices. But if you're deceived right now, you don't know that you are. So what do you do if you are deceived right now? Or if you think, am I deceived? I don't know. How would I know? Well, that's where, and here's where it's so important. It's where we surrender to the word of God, but it's also where God places around us what's called the body of Christ. People in our lives, here's what I've realized, that sometimes the Holy Spirit will give us a word, but it's just a part of it. And somebody else holds the other part. And many times we get the word and we think it's the word. And yet God is wanting us to come together as the body and to listen, to humble ourselves, to partner together, to, to work together. And that, that I, I don't know how many times I've got something and I've just, I've held onto it. I said, God, I, I feel like I could just run with this and then I'll wait and I'll marinate on it. And then some, I'll have a conversation with somebody and I'll realize, oh, you had the other piece. But if I were to just run with that one thing all the time, and not be willing to humble myself and to say, God, what, what, am I hear, what am I hearing that I need to hear other people confirm in me? That's, that's part of humbling ourselves. That's part of walking it out with the body of Christ. And when you only trust what you see and hear, then you may easily be deceived. Because half truth is no truth, right? And, and I've said this before. What does it feel like to be wrong? And just ask yourself that question. What does it feel like to be wrong? Well, I can tell you exactly what it feels like to be wrong. It feels like being right because you're convinced that you're right. So many of us right now are living our lives by a picture we have hung up on our wall and it feels 100% right. Is it possible that we need to come back to the word of God that we need to come back to the ways of God, that we need to come back and even surround ourselves with people, wise counsel, that might be able to challenge even what we feel like feels so right right now. We need that. A graven image is any picture that you're accepting that does not agree with God. Uh, another thing is we can make a graven image out of any other place or time instead of the present. See, sometimes a graven image is anywhere but here. 
And we get these pictures in our life and we're dissatisfied with where we are in life. And so we can be tempted to worship the past. We could say it that way. That we end up, everything about our life is about, well, those were the good old days. And if, if we could just get back to there, if we could just get back to those good old days, and we worship the past and we begin to follow after the past. How many of you guys have seen Napoleon Dynamite? Anybody? Napoleon Dynamite? I just want, okay. Napoleon, how many of you guys remember Uncle Rico in Napoleon Dynamite? It's like, you know, 1984, I could throw that football quarter ball over those mountains over there, you know? And Uncle Rico, he was always living in 1984 or whatever it is. I had a friend of mine years ago I worked with in construction, and, and that's the way he was. We grew up in a small town, and, you know, and it was all about, I believe it was 1986, actually. It was all about 1986. And their basketball team, I mean, they made it far into the tournament, and it was all about the basketball in 1986. And, and, it, and we'd be on the job site, and he'd be rehearsing this all over. The, and he was like the, the homecoming king you know, of the school. It was only 200 pe 180 people in the whole school, kindergarten through 12th grade. But he kept rehearsing this, and he would even rehearse this like a pageant at, at work. And he'd be like, you know, I'm not going to say his name, but he'd be like, okay, homecoming king and queen. And he would, he would parade himself out, you know, as if it was actually happening again. He was living in 1986. And some of us can do that. And we end up worshiping the past. And it's all about not here, right? Some people do that in a negative sense, where we're so stuck in our past we can't live in the present in the freedom that God has for us. And we end up following after a graven image that in Christ is no longer you. You may have an image of yourself that is no longer valid. It had an expiration date, right? It had a shelf life. Like whenever you said yes to Jesus, that old life expired. But some of us are still looking at that expired picture of ourselves. And that's leading us. And we're following after that image. So sometimes we can worship the past. Sometimes we can worship the future. Like if only, if when, if I could only have this, if when I get this big of a house, when I get this amount of money, when I do this thing, or, or worshiping something that's unachieved in our life that I won't feel fulfilled until this thing happens. Now, God gives us dreams and desires to pursue after, no doubt, but if our whole identity is wrapped up in that and that we cannot live presently where God has planted us, then we're following after an image that says, I, can't, I can live anywhere but here. And we start following after this image. Sometimes it plays out when we worship the means rather than the end. So even when it comes to good things like, like reading our Bible, sometimes we can worship this as a means instead of, you know what the purpose of this is? It's to connect us with a living, breathing, actual reality relationship with God. Or fasting, you know, we can start going through all these spiritual things of fasting or prayer and we begin to end up worshiping like that's my go-to, that's my savior. When I'm in a problem, I'm gonna start fasting because that, but fasting is just to lead us and we worship the means instead of the end. When actually it's his presence that we should be living in. It's his presence that is the answer. See, it doesn't have to be bad things. It can sometimes even be good and godly things. John Bevere in his book, Good or God, um, said it this way. He said, it wasn't the evil side of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil that Eve was attracted to. It was actually the good side. In Genesis chapter three, verse six, it says, so the woman, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, 
that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit, she ate it, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. It was all good things that she was attracted to. He goes on to say it this way, and I want you to hear these things, and, and just I, I really want you, this to hit you today, because the, I believe this is true. He says this in his book. He says, there is nothing good for you outside of God's will. There's nothing good for you outside of God's will. It doesn't matter how good something looks. It doesn't matter how happy it makes you, how much fun it is, how rich and successful you'll become, how deeply spiritual it appears, how sensible it seems, how popular or accepted it is, and the list goes on and on. If something is contrary to the wisdom or the word of God, it will ultimately be detrimental and bring sorrow into your life. Now, please hear me. What I'm not trying to give you is a list of things, like if I follow these things on this side, that my life will, that, that's not the point. The point is just the truth that God's ways are the best. That's the point. That God's ways, that when you get in the presence of God, that's the best that you can experience. And that's what we really ought to go after. Because a graven image is any picture that we're accepting that does not agree with God. And this last point is really what I want us to understand because I believe there's going to be a breakthrough for somebody when you hear this last point. And the last point, number three, is simply this, that Satan is the counterfeit. Satan is the fraud. Satan is the false advertisement. Say, and I'm gonna show you how. First Peter chapter five, verse eight, it says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Doesn't say he is one, but that's what he makes you want to think he is. That he has all this power, that he has all this stuff going on, that he's going to be able to come in and have power over your life and you don't have victory and you're not walking in, in the goodness of God. He's going to portray all of this stuff to you, but he's walking around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He's a fraud. He's a counterfeit. He only has the power that we allow him to have in our life. And so I'm going to read this last scripture, and as I do, the worship team's going to come back up, but I'm going to say something that I, I heard a long time ago, and it really painted a picture in my life to help me understand where things are actually at. And so I want you to imagine this with me. Paul is using some language here to try to paint a picture to communicate a truth. Okay, so 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15 says this, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and, spreads, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, and to another, a fragrance from life to life, who is sufficient for these things. And so Paul uses this illustration of a triumphal procession. And in this triumphal procession, he's, he's borrowing from what used to happen in these Roman military triumphal processions, that if there was a big conquest of some time or a big uh, victory, they would put on this huge parade. And it was one of the grandest scenes in all of the ancient times because they made a big deal out of it. And so they would come and after a big victory, they would parade through the town. Thousands of people would line the streets. There would be flowers and all sorts of stuff putting an aroma, can you see the imagery he's painting, putting an aroma in the air. But there were some requirements before you could have one of these parades. Uh, first of all, the conditions were that the battle, the victory had to be complete and decisive. 
It had to be complete and decisive before they would have one of these. At least 5,000 people of the enemy had to be slain. And it would have to enlarge the kingdom's territory in some way. And that the conquest would have had to put an end to whatever war was happening. This is the picture, okay? Keep in mind, this is the picture that Paul is painting for us. And he says, this is what it's like. And so they'd have a parade, they'd have spices, they'd have flowers, the military would line up and they would parade down through this town and everyone would be cheering and celebrating. They'd put the spoils of war in the parade along with them. It was quite a spectacle, all the weapons, all that stuff. And then the commander of the army would ride in a special chariot. And this special chariot was drawn by four horses. And then they would also have in tow some of the prisoners of war who were defeated, thus humiliating them by making them parade through the town. They were defeated. And what I want you to do, if you could just play along for just a second, if you might close your eyes and try to picture that parade. And if Paul is painting that imagery for us to try to understand something, then here's my question for you. Where are you in that scene? Some of you might see yourself in the grandstands watching and you can kind of see the parade going by. Of course, in that picture, Jesus is riding in the chariot. You know, the devil has been defeated because remember the war was decisive. The victory, the war was ended. On the cross, Jesus ended the war. But you know what Satan likes to do? He likes to pretend that he's the victor. And I want you to understand that everything the enemy is saying to you right now He's saying it to you from behind that chariot, tied up. He's lost. He's lost. So I ask you, where do you see you in that? Some of us see ourselves in the grandstand. Some of us might see ourselves marching in the parade, but let me tell you exactly where you are, according to the imagery that Paul says. Jesus invited you and me up into the chariot with him as if we had won the battle because the scriptures say that we have been seated with him in heavenly places, that he won the victory, but he calls us up. So what I'm trying to get you to understand here is Ask yourself, have I been looking at the right picture in my life? When I, when I asked you that question at the very beginning, what do you see? And you might've seen all kinds of things about your relationships, all kinds of things about your life and where things are at and your business and all this stuff. But maybe it's a picture you need to take down off your wall. And maybe you need to put up a new picture because you are victorious in Christ. It's for freedom that he sets you free. You're in the chariot because you are a victor, not because of what you've done, but completely because of what he's done. But he calls you up 
He wiped away your sins. He rose from the dead. He says, come sit with me. Come sit with me. The devil's a defeated foe. Everything he says from here on out is whispering from a place, place of defeat. And it's time we have the right picture of what's happening. It's time we have the right picture. So God, I just pray right now that you would give us revelation because we wanna reject any picture that we're following after that does not agree with you. And I pray for anyone here that's been seeing themselves as a victim, has been seeing their situation from a victim mentality, maybe looking at the wrong picture of their marriage or their calling. Lord, we take that back to you and we say, God, what picture do you want me to hang up on my wall? What picture of my future? What picture of my present? What picture of my family? What picture of my marriage? you want me to hang up on my wall that agrees with you and some of us may have to take down our picture of what we've thought about God to be able to do that because maybe we thought God was mad at us maybe we thought that God was just a you know somebody wanted us just to follow a bunch of rules and how could God possibly love us because of all that we have done I want you to understand that God's love for you is not based on anything you could do but it's based on everything that he's done and the Bible says that even while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. Before we could do anything to make God love, to love us, he loved us. And I just feel led right now, if you feel, if you have not had a moment to say yes to Jesus, to follow Jesus, I want you to understand that there's a moment right now that you can say yes, you can leave your old life and you can walk into a new life with Jesus that you can lay down your old picture of what your life has been like. Stop living in the past and you can say yes to Jesus. He died for your sins, he took your place, he rose from the dead to offer you this freedom. And I want you to understand it's nothing that you can earn. It's not, that place before God, that relationship with God is nothing you can buy, it's nothing you can borrow for, it's nothing you can barter for. It's based on his grace. It's a free gift. He'll wipe your sins clean, and this can be day one of a brand new life for you. The Bible talks about it in such a way that for us to understand it today, if we say yes to him, the old is gone, the new has come, we're a new creation. It's like we have brand new spiritual DNA on the inside of us when we say yes to Jesus. You literally are a brand new person. And to do that, we surrender our old life and we confess that he's Lord. And some of us may even need to come back to the Father's house. Maybe we've been straying away and we know that. We need to just come back to the Father's house. So if that's you, I just wanna pray for you. I'm not gonna do anything more than that right now, but I, I feel like it's significant that we take a, a moment where you confirm what God is doing in your heart right now. Because some of you guys, God is doing something amazing in your heart right now. And we need to note that. So if that's you, would you just lift up your hand so I can pray for you right now? And we're just going to pray. All right, thank you guys. Anybody else? We're just gonna pray right now. And I'm gonna help you with some words, but you're gonna, you're gonna supply the faith. So I want us all to pray with us. Could everybody just pray this? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe that you took my place, that you wiped my sin away, that you rose from the dead and offer me new life. And I leave my old life and I choose to follow you. I receive your grace 
by faith. And I confess that you are Lord of my life from this day forward. In Jesus' name. Listen, I I know if you prayed that prayer, you may not fully understand what's happened right now, but I I want you to understand, even if you don't understand, God has been at work in your heart. And it's not so much about the words, it's it's more about what God is doing. And so I would love to talk to you afterwards. If that's you, if you prayed that prayer, I'd love to talk to you or talk to one of our ministry leaders in just a little bit. Right now, we're gonna have everybody stand up and we're gonna worship God one more time. And I wanna encourage you not to waste this time of worship because Holy Spirit may be stirring in you something right now and the Holy Spirit may be doing something even during this time as we give it all to God right now. He's gonna be confirming and placing new pictures in your life. I believe that you may even see them as we begin to worship during this time. And so let's worship.